Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis, sitting here. If you can see it in my Atlanta Braves July 4th celebration t-shirt, I am down in Atlanta. If I look out the window right now from the studio that I am in, I can see Truist Park headed to the baseball game with my uh, 11-year-old tonight. We'll be there tomorrow. Be there on Friday, be there on Saturday, going to six straight Atlanta Braves games. Not a bad way to roll. I will not, however, have an outkick the show, at least nothing planned on Thursday or Friday, as I will be out on the radio with my family gearing up for uh, a long weekend. So I appreciate all of you hanging out with us. Like I said, yesterday was the official one-year anniversary of the Clay and Buck Show. We have had a great deal of fun so far with you, and we appreciate everybody out there who is watching, listening, consuming all OutKick-related content. I want to start off here with Congressman Jim Jordan, who grilled NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell over the fact that Ron Rivera fined Jack Del Rio $100,000 in order to punish him for his opinion, asking the question of why we don't talk about all of the riots that took place over the course of the summer and instead focus almost exclusively on what happened on January 6th. And this is a good uh, grilling from Congressman Jordan. Uh, And it said, Roger Goodell effectively (coughs) ran and hid rather than answer the question about whether he agreed with the $100,000 fine. Uh, In particular, Congressman Jordan said, I asked if you agree with the Washington Redskins' decision to fine Jack Del Rio $100,000. Roger Goodell said, I don't think it's my position to be able to state whether it was the correct decision or not. Talk about dodging a question. Uh, Again, Jordan then read to Goodell his own statement from the start of the 2021 season that said he encourages everyone to speak out about civil matters in the country and peacefully protest. Did you really mean that when you said it? Congressman Jordan asked. Yes, Goodell said. I think people are always responsible for what they say and what they do, but yes. And then Jordan said, hey, when you encouraged all to speak out, you meant all, not just some. And then Jordan said again, why in the world would you be encouraging everybody to speak out while one of your teams, the Washington Commanders, decides to find an employee for speaking out? And I give credit to Congressman Jordan for raising all of this as an issue because it flies directly in the face of what Roger Goodell said he wanted. And this is why I continue to hammer situations like these. We don't have a content-neutral application of policies when it comes to speech in the world of sports. If you are an athlete and you embrace a far left-wing political agenda, you are overwhelmingly praised. 
there is almost no punishment. If you are middle of the road, even a little bit left-leaning, and you have the gall to just ask a basic question as Washington Commander's defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio did, and you just say something simple like, hey, I'm just asking the question, why do we only talk about January 6th and we never mention anything surrounding the BLM riots? Then you get fined $100,000. The message that is being sent here is quite clear. It is have the right positions when it comes to politics or prepare to pay the consequences legitimately a $100,000 fine. Has there ever been a fine levied against Steve Kerr or against Greg Popovich or LeBron James or Colin Kaepernick or whatever woke athlete or coach shares a woke athlete or coach opinion? Of course not. And unlike all the sports media members who shut up and didn't say a word when Jack Del Rio got fined $100,000 for voicing his own political opinion, I would stand up and defend those athletes and coaches, even if they have a left-wing political opinion, if they were fined for what they said, because I don't think that's right. Content-neutral policy should apply for everyone. It's not the case right now. Roger Goodell has actually advocated for political outspokenness on behalf of players and coaches, and yet he didn't say a word about whether he agreed or disagreed with the $100,000 fine that was levied against Jack Del Rio. That is because Roger Goodell is a coward, but I give credit to Congressman Jim Jordan for questioning Roger Goodell directly, specifically about that story. I've continued to talk about the Uvalde school shooting because I believe it's a really significant story that deserves a lot of attention. Should never hopefully be replicated again. Yesterday, we talked about the fact that the uh, investigators referred to the police response to Uvalde, Texas as an abject failure and said they were in the school within three minutes after the shooter and they should have gone directly after him and attempted to neutralize him. They did not. And I just realized I might not have been speaking directly into this mic and I don't know how good the audio has been. Has the audio been okay regardless? I'm told that the audio is okay regardless. This should make it a little bit better in the event that audio guy is upset out there. Uh, there was a call, according to, and I'm, I'm reading from KSAT 12 in San Antonio, one of our new hires, Ian Miller, who's going to do a fantastic job writing at OutKick, uh, wrote about this. Teacher Eva Morellas was shot during the attack, but was able to call her husband, Ruben Ruiz, before she died. Morellas report, reportedly told Ruiz, who worked as an officer for the school district's police department, that she'd been shot and was dying inside the classroom. Colonel Stephen McCraw from the Texas Department of Public Safety explained, again, that this was an abject failure. McCraw said Ruiz rushed to the school, informed officers on the scene that his wife had called him, and what happened to him, this is a direct quote from Stephen McCraw, who was testifying in Texas about this investigation, what happened to him is he tried to move forward into the hallway he was detained, and they took his gun away from him and escorted him off the scene. I want you to think about this for a minute. You are a police officer. Your wife has been shot and tells you that she is dying inside of a classroom and that there are other kids also dying inside of that classroom as well, 
and begs you to come and help save the lives of the people inside the classroom. And when you show up to do that, the police there take your gun and refuse to allow you to attempt to save the lives of those inside. I just, it is disgusting. I support police probably more than anybody in sports media. But that does not mean that you blindly support police all the time. When they screw up, when they fail to serve and protect, especially the most innocent among us, there deserve to be strong, incredibly significant consequences for those failures. Yesterday, we talked about the fact that the door to the classroom wasn't even locked. That all those police officers who showed up in Uvalde could have opened the door and could have gone right in after that killer. How many lives might have been saved if police had chased this madman the moment that he got inside that school and had pursued him until he was dead? How many more kids, how many more teachers would be alive? It's a disgrace. And I cannot imagine what that police officer who got called from his wife as she lay dying in the classroom thought when he tried to go inside and they took his gun away from him and refused to allow him to enter the classroom. It's just awful to even think about, frankly. Much less serious news, although still serious. Do you remember when all the media told you that Andrew Gillum was potentially going to be the next president of the United States, mayor of Tallahassee, was running against Ron DeSantis in 2018 for the governorship of Florida. We didn't know how important it would be. Andrew Gillum's been charged with 21 felonies. Prior to this, he was also caught in a sordid hotel room, gay sex, drug-induced sting by police. Andrew Gillum only lost the Florida governor's election, by 33,000 votes. That's how close he came to being the governor of Florida during COVID. How much different would this country look like? I've talked about this. may have been the most consequential governor's election in the 21st century, maybe the most consequential governor's election in most of our lives. How much different would the state of Florida look if Andrew Gillum had been in charge? I believe he would have locked down like California's governor, Gavin Newsom, did, like New York's governor at the time, Andrew Cuomo, did. And if Florida had locked down, how many Republican red state governors would have been brave enough to also open up their economies and open up their states and take all the slings and arrows and outrageous indignation that rained down upon anyone who didn't embrace total lockdowns? Every kid starting in 2020 in the fall in Florida was in school. Most of them were not required to wear masks. All because Ron DeSantis actually followed the science and made the right decisions for the people of Florida. So imagine what this would look like if Andrew Gillum had won and vote like every single state election has those same consequences. That's why I think we need a red wave In 2022, in a little bit over four months, Democrats have to pay for the biggest public policy failure of any of our lives 
in the shutdowns, in the lockdowns, in the way that they responded to COVID. But 33,000 votes was the difference between Florida being an oasis of freedom and being yet another big state that was locked down. Hey, Clay Travis here. We'll be right back. But first, here's a word. I want to thank Dansby Swanson. I mentioned to start off the show here that I'm in Atlanta, that I'm going to Braves games uh, with my kids. Last night, Dansby Swanson, who played baseball at Vanderbilt University, now a shortstop for the Atlanta Braves, saw us in the crowd, told us to wait a few minutes after the game, and after the game, he brought up an autographed bat and gave it to my 11-year-old on the field. And as you well can imagine, it was an awesome moment for my 11-year-old, but I also thought it reflected really well on Dansby Swanson. Good guy overall, World Series champion, Vanderbilt Commodore national champion as well. Uh, to be able to, uh, to, to, to kind of just make a kid's night like he did by giving him a signed baseball bat, my kid will remember that for the rest of his life positive story another positive story broadway i was up in new york city last week in fact did not leave until sunday afternoon did a bunch of shows as you guys well know to celebrate our one-year anniversary of the clay and buck show broadway has dropped the mask mandate uh, that existed forever it feels like beginning on july 1st so Broadway shows, in the event that you are interested in going to a Broadway show, are going back to 100% normalcy. You can or cannot choose to wear a mask. They were one of the last entertainment venues to be holding out and requiring that everybody wear masks, even though there's zero scientific evidence to support mask wearing, making anyone safer. They have kept up the charade going all the way up until July 1st, when miraculously everything is going to fall apart and we will be back to normal so uh congratulations to anyone out there who wants to go and uh and actually watch a broadway play you don't have to worry about the mask mandate giving you a preview giving you a preview of where we're headed in 2024 i believe the next president of the united states is going to be either donald trump or ron DeSantis. And that they are going to have a heavyweight battle for the Republican presidential nomination all throughout 2023 and all throughout 2024. Now, I've been telling you guys this for months. All of a sudden, the media is kind of catching up to what is in play here. DeSantis has to get reelected as Florida governor in November. He is well poised to do that. Will win, I believe, comfortably because overwhelmingly the state of Florida is breaking in his direction. And when that happens... Donald Trump, I believe, is also going to run for president in 2024, and we are going to have a battle royale. Politico has a story that came out early this morning that Ron DeSantis is not asking for the endorsement of Donald Trump in Florida as governor. Uh, So most Republicans out there are asking for Donald Trump to endorse them. Ron DeSantis, according to Politico, uh, citing multiple sources, will not be asking Donald Trump for an endorsement in the 2024 governor's, sorry, 2022 governor's race in Florida. And let me just reiterate this because a lot of people haven't realized it. A lot of people have said, why can't Trump be the president and Ron DeSantis be the vice president? 
well, you're not allowed to do that constitutionally to have the president and the vice president both come from the same state. Given the fact that DeSantis is the governor, he's not going to be changing his home state. Trump theoretically could change his home state, but he also is a Florida resident. That is a mess going forward. And so I believe these two guys are going to fight it out. And whoever ends up winning that battle between them is going to be the next president of the United States. Either Donald Trump will win again or Ron DeSantis will win his first term. Just giving you a preview of what's coming there. Joe Biden recognizes that gas taxes are overwhelmingly too high and sorry that gas prices are overwhelmingly too high. I'm sure gas taxes are overwhelmingly too high as well. They're trying to figure out how to deal with $5 a gallon gas and the newest plan is to implement a federal gas tax holiday even though Barack Obama called that a gimmick back in 2008. Biden spoke a little bit over an hour ago and officially endorsed this as his new plan to bring down the cost of a gallon of gas up to $5. Some of you may have seen me debating this last night with Geraldo Rivera on Sean Hannity's show right off the top at 9 Eastern. Biden's overall inability to produce more gas in the country, which he began his term by doing away with the demand. Remember Sarah Palin and everybody ridiculed her for saying drill, baby, drill, and that the best way to energy independence was to produce as much oil and gas as we could in the United States during the Trump administration. We were energy independent. We no longer are. We're desperate because of the Russia uh, invasion of Ukraine. We are desperate to try to get more oil and gas. We're bending the knee to Saudi Arabia. We're begging Venezuela for help. We're still talking with Iran about an awful nuclear plan in an effort to try to bring down the the cost of oil and gas. Biden has called for a 90-day moratorium on the gas taxes in order, he says, to bring down the price of oil and gas by a dollar because he recognizes that it is an overwhelming anvil which is pulling down his entire administration. We get to July 4th, which is going to be here sooner than we know it. Once you get to July 4th, go ahead and move August, September, October, November. We're sitting at four months until the midterm elections and everything is looking like it is going to be a disaster for Uh, The Democrats and Biden is desperate, even if this is not the solution. The solution is energy independence, and we are not there. A couple of contract terms that I thought were intriguing. Uh, Mike Mad Dog Russo, who used to do a radio show uh, with uh, Mike Francesa back on WFAN in New York, for a long time. He now is on Sirius Satellite Radio. He's been going on first take with Stephen A. Smith. He went on with Howard Stern on the Stern Radio program and said that he is getting paid $10,000 an episode to go on first take with Stephen A. Smith for 40 appearances. That is $400,000 a year. Uh, He may be in line for more of a salary increase because they are desperate to find somebody who can Uh, who can fight with Stephen A. Smith. I've said this before. I don't even know if I'm contractually allowed to do it, but if they really want a legitimate battle, I would do a better job of going head-to-head with Stephen A. Smith than anybody in all of the media. 
I would do a free one offer for Stephen A. Smith. We'll pick the topics. We'll go basically lace up the metaphorical gloves, and I think I would obliterate him in a head-to-head debate, and I'd have fun doing it. And I think ESPN would be terrified to allow that to happen, but I'm offering a free one offer uh, if they would like to take me up on that offer, which they will not because I'm still banned from ESPN along with CNN. But I think they get way better value for me than they're getting from Mike and the Mad Dog. Finally, the opposite of value, John Wall has opted into his $47 million contract. John Wall may well be, in fact, I'm pretty certain that he is, the worst single contract that any team has ever entered into in the history of American pro sports. And some of you are sitting around out there saying, boy, that sounds like it would be difficult. I just want to give you the amount of money that John Wall has made in his career while, to be fair, dealing with a large number of injuries. John Wall has made right now a hundred and let's see his total earnings so far. He has made, I love going in here and seeing it's pretty crazy. He's going to make $47.3 million next year. And he has made a grand total. He signed a four-year, $171 million contract. The last four years, John Wall has made $38 million, $41.2 million, $44.3 million, and he's going to make in this next year as a 32-year-old, he is going to make $47.3 million. And so when you look at all of the money that he has made, he this is wild. He initially signed a five-year, $84 million contract, and he was making an average of $16.7 million. And before that, he made $24 million. I can't even add up all of this money. He has made somewhere in the neighborhood of $300 million. Is this right? I'm doing the math live because I just can't believe this. Okay. He signed a four-year, $171 million deal. All right. So he made 171. Prior to that, he made, and I'm making sure that this don't these don't overlap. He made 85 million. And prior to that, he made 24 million. So I'm doing live math here talking to you, which sometimes is a disaster. Uh, 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah. 280 million dollars. 280 million. And I might have just done the math wrong. It might be 380. I think it's 200, 280 million. All right. He made 280 million dollars. And this most recent four year, $171 million contract, I'm going to put it out there for you. I think it is the single worst contract ever signed in the history of American pro sports. But if you wondered how much money you can make and not have to be very good in the grand scheme of things, and I know there have been injury situations, but John Wall, when his final year, this $47 million goes into effect and he's picked up the option, he will have made 
$280 million in salary. I don't know what he's made in endorsement deal dollars. I know he made a decent amount before the injury started. Probably made around $350 million or more total during his NBA career. Wow. Wowza. Still only in his early 30s. I appreciate all of you. I'm rolling out now, headed to the Braves game against the Giants. Let's go Braves. Chop on. Thanks to Dansby Swanson. Appreciate all of you. My name is Clay Travis. I will be out on radio and on these shows Thursday and Friday, headed down to Florida over the weekend. Going to go watch the Braves play a bunch of games in the meantime. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP, this has been OutKick, the show.